BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. More than 75,000 Kaiser Permanente healthcare workers in five states, including 22,000 in the Bay Area, went on strike Wednesday after the company and unions failed to resolve a dispute over wages and staffing levels. The union says the strike, planned to last three days, is the largest healthcare strike in U.S. history. We'll look at how the walkout is affecting patient care and how it fits into the recent trend of major labor actions across a range of American industries. That's all coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. It was a, quote, hot labor summer in California, according to the people who make the memes and even the New York Times. But with tens of thousands of Kaiser employees on strike this week, the organizing heat has clearly extended fully into the fall. This morning, we take an hour to bring you the latest from the picket lines and the context you need to understand what this massive healthcare labor dispute is is really about. Joined first by KQED reporter Farida Jovala Romero. Welcome to the show. Hi, Alexis. Good morning. So, Farida, you were out on the picket lines yesterday and you picked up some audio. Let's hear from a few uh, Kaiser employees here. We have employees sleeping in their cars because they cannot afford the cost of living. And we need a raise. We know the patients, you know. So we are vested in wanting to improve services and do great work. For staffing and fair wages, because we are overworked and underpaid. That was receptionist Drenda Sims, radiologic technologist Tamika Harris, and operating room worker Grover Woods. Um, Frida, is, did those, that, those cuts capture what you really heard on the picket lines? Yeah, really. I mean, the main issues that have driven tens of thousands of uh, healthcare workers at Kaiser out of clinics and hospitals and onto the streets to the picket line uh, is really wages. You know, they're seeking wage increases. Mm -hmm. And then um, they want Kaiser to invest a lot more resources into what the workers say is an understaffing crisis that is hurting patient care, delaying patient care, and making the workers' jobs a lot more stressful, you know, with um, a lot of um, having to work extra hours 
hours or a, a lot of workers said they feel like they're juggling several jobs at the same time. Um, you know, and all of the people I spoke with said uh, they're out there because they believe that Kaiser has the resources to tackle all these issues and really improve things. Um, and so they, uh, they, you know, they wanted the, the company executives or the nonprofit organizations executives to really listen to them and, um, you know, come to an agreement. Now, are the wages and the staffing issues tied together? Because the idea is if they raise, raise mm-hmm. wages, it's easier to hire people. Or, or, is that how they're tying it together? Yes, absolutely. I mean, that they have one of their main proposals from the beginning. And we're talking about the strike coming after months of negotiations between the Coalition of Kaiser Permanente Unions, which has several um, unions in there, including the SEIU, United Healthcare Workers West, and uh, the Kaiser bargaining team has been a minimum wage proposal. Uh, the latest on that from Kaiser is that now they're offering minimum wages of $23 an hour throughout California and $21 an hour in other markets because, you know, this is a, an organization that operates in several states in the U.S. Um, so definitely, you know, it seems like they're getting closer on that, but that minimum wage is really to be able to attract uh, new uh, people to the fields. Mm. Um, and then the other, the other uh, big, uh, you know, uh, issue, of course, is wage increases. And it seems like both camps have been getting a little closer on that. They're bridging this huge divide that was uh, first at the bargaining table, you know. And the latest we've heard from Kaiser is they're offering twelve to sixteen percent increases over the four years of mm-hmm. the contract that they're now trying to, uh, you know, negotiate, come to an agreement. Their latest, um, the latest contract uh, ended in September 30th, you know, so Mm -hmm. uh, so this has been a process that has lasted a a long time. So we're talking uh, three to four percent a year is what uh, Kaiser is offering and the the workers are are seeking. No. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh huh. And depending on positions, I imagine, because they said there's a range between 12 and 16 percent. Um, just want to say for everyone that uh, Kaiser declined to participate in this program. They did um, send a, a statement, which we'll get to, to pieces of as we kind of move on. Um, they said, you know, we remain committed to reaching a new agreement that continues to provide our employees with uh, market leading wages, excellent benefits, generous retirement income plans and valuable professional development opportunities. Um, Frida, one of the things that I was uh, wanted to focus in on there was the quote market leading wages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um you know, in in some circumstances, like they said, down in Southern California, if a Kaiser person were to leave and go to a similar job um, in healthcare, they the Kaiser uh, management was saying they'd be taking actually a big pay cut because Kaiser is paying more. How how much do we know about the sort of is that true? And uh, what do the union say uh, in response? Yes. So that's something that's a statement that Kaiser has been making throughout, you know, uh, uh, the negotiations and definitely since the threat of the uh, strike uh, started um, some some weeks ago. Um, We we that's something that we that's a really good question. You know how it compares. I was actually asking, uh, you know, academics and uh, professors who study this about it. And it seems like they what I've heard is that Kaiser was known for better wages in the industry. Um, the uh, the organization definitely says, you know, that they are uh, they offer 
competitive wages uh, in every market that they operate, mm-hmm. that they're uh, leaders actually on that. And um, and they, in terms of attrition uh, or turnover, they also say that they have uh, a lower uh, percentage of workers that are leaving their jobs. That they, mm. they said it was seven percent compared to the rest of the industry. Yeah. Uh, but when you speak with workers about that, I mean, you get a really different perspective. You know, they're saying, like people yesterday at the picket lines, they're saying, "Hey, the cost of living in the Bay Area mm. is just, you know, skyrocketing, and we can't uh, keep up." The other thing I was mentioning, and I think this is really important, is. They see this organization. I mean, it's like the largest and private nonprofit healthcare organization in the country. They're serving more than thir- uh, about 13 million people, in, most of them in California, more than 9 million in California. They've, uh, they had a, I looked at their financial statements, you know, because the union is making, um, uh, statements about how much money the the company's making, you mm-hmm. know, uh, how much their CEO is making. And Kaiser did have a rough uh, financial uh, year last year with uh, losses. But if you look at their net income, it seems to be in the billions of dollars mm-hmm. per year in recent years. You know, obviously, there are executives uh, making uh, millions of dollars uh, per year in base compensation. So I think that's really present in workers' minds when mm-hmm. they're speaking about, you know, mm-hmm. their wages, like, why am I struggling, you know, with rent or having to live in Tracy and commute to Oakland to mm-hmm. to be able to to work here when they feel like the, the organization could do a lot more to take care of their employees. Yeah. So um, what's the exact group of workers that are out on strike? Because it's not all the Kaiser workers, right? I mean, it's a, it's a specific subset. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not physicians. Um, and um, the, the jobs that uh, are impacted, you know, that people that are coming out on strike, it's a huge range. And it's really the people that, you know, as soon as you come into one of their facilities for care, it's receptionist, uh, lab technicians, radiology technicians, ultrasound sonographers, uh, respiratory therapists, x-ray technicians, um, certified nursing assistants, medical assistants, and some licensed vocational nurses I spoke with yesterday, emergency department technicians. I mean, it's everyone that you know, really makes uh, Kaiser services run aside from the physicians. And what Kaiser said is that, you know, for this strike, uh, which they were saying, it seemed, you know, from the tone of their statements, because like you mentioned, we've asked Kaiser for interviews with representatives to really try to get at the bottom, you know, of all these um, uh, claims, both from the from the company, but from the union as well. What they said was, you know, they have robust plans, you know, to ensure that uh, the services to their uh, members, you know, to the people who rely on Kaiser for healthcare, um, and insurance that they're not they're not huge disruptions. But I mean, it it's with tens of thousands of workers potentially out, you know, you're bound to see some delays. Uh, Kaiser has said that they've, uh, you know, been calling people to reschedule non-emergency surgeries. Um, there's definitely been some issues with uh, COVID and flu vaccination, mm-hmm. you know, people saying that they can't find appointments in Southern California. Here in the Bay Area, you can just walk into clinics. So it's been a, a different story since the strike started. But, you know, it's definitely, definitely noticeable, you know, to services. And something else I noticed was, you know, when you walk into these facilities, at least in Oakland yesterday, it was really quiet because mm. they do have some workers who decided not to go on strike. The overwhelming majority of the workers represented by these unions did approve a strike. 
Mm-hmm. There were people, you know, still working there. They've hired thousands of contract uh, uh, workers to come in and support operations. And then, of course, they have physicians still on the job. Mm. So is the strike still expected to last through Saturday morning or has that changed at all? You know, I mean, the last statement we got from Kaiser was that, you know, it was something like, you know, we've gone through this marathon session to try to avoid the strike. We've been getting closer to an agreement, but we're still not there. So it's, you know, up in the air right now. What's going to happen? I think at the moment, they uh, at least as of like yesterday afternoon when they sent their last statement, it seemed like they weren't negotiate. They weren't at the bargaining table anymore. So they have to reconvene mm-hmm. and then try to tackle these last, you know, issues on uh, on on things like the minimum wage for workers mm-hmm. and wage increases and initiatives from Kaiser to to retain more employees and attract more more people to the mm-hmm. field as well. So, Farida, you cover labor for us. I mean, how do you see this strike fitting into the landscape of strikes that we've been seeing? You know, this this hot labor summer. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like you said, you know, it's just continuing. I don't think it had anything to do with the summer. You know, maybe it was just, (laughs) it's warmer outside, so you can just go out there. Um, But um, no, I mean, this is an issue that's going to keep coming up as long as, you know, workers feel really tight, you know, in their Mm -hmm. finances and um, and, and, and economics, you know, it's just, um, I think it's also this greater awareness about income inequality in this country that it's just continuing to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, get even uh, more intense, you know, throughout yeah. the U.S. Yeah, yeah. I think there was like an economic policy institute report uh, that came out recently. I mean, they were uh, looking at the CEO pay on average. It was like, it's hundreds of times more than what an average worker makes. So I think people are looking at this and they're deciding that also because there's such a shortage of, um, you know, workers in industry like health healthcare that they have a uh, more got leverage. Some leverage. Yeah. 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 yeah to, to ask for what they think they deserve. Yeah. We're talking about the Kaiser Healthcare Worker Strike with Farida Jobala Romero. We'll be back with more. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about this massive Kaiser healthcare worker strike. We've been joined so far by KQED labor correspondent Verita Jovella Romero. We're going to get some other uh, voices on. Um, wanted to let everyone know, you know, we did invite Kaiser to come on. Of course, um, they declined the, the invitation. 
Um, they did send a statement, um, a little bit of that for you. Uh, Kaiser says, together, we face the toughest challenges over the past three years. Kaiser Permanente, our industry and our employees are now operating in a new cultural labor and post-pandemic environment that we're all working hard to understand. We're committed to finding workable solutions for this new environment that meet our responsibility to balance taking care of our employees and being affordable to our members. We'd love to hear from you. Are you a Kaiser worker out on strike right now? What led you to authorize the strike and would you be willing to uh, extend it? Or maybe you're a Kaiser member. Um, how have you seen the issues that are coming up in this negotiation in your own care? Has it uh, has it affected you? Low low staffing or short staffing? Uh, the number is eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. That's eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. You can email forum at kqed.org, of course, or you can try us on Twitter, uh, it threads, uh, or Instagram or kqed forum. Okay. Let's bring on Jennifer Key, who's a licensed clinical social worker uh, at Kaiser Oakland and SEIUUHW member. Welcome, Jennifer. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, So from your perspective, what what are the kind of primary um, areas that you still need to work out? Well, I'm going to start by saying I've been a um, um, medical social worker at Kaiser Permanente. It'll be 29 years in Mm -hmm. 2024. So I've been able to see, you know, the changes and the progressions, you know, of of, of things that have been going on. Mm -hmm. I am a licensed clinical social worker. I work outpatient. I work in the HIV clinic. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been involved in um, in different um, areas, home health, inpatient, outpatient. And this is my fourth time on the bargaining team. Hmm. So, yeah. so um, is this bargaining different from your previous times on the team? Well, I, I think I believe it is. And I think the roots of it goes back to the pandemic because prior to the pandemic, you know, we didn't have the staffing shortages. We didn't have people mm. leaving the field. You know, we people people became afraid. People were really terrified mm. and they wanted to do something else. And even during the pandemic days, I mean, my coworkers provided excellent care, but it all takes a toll. And then you turn around and then you have short staffing and that affects patient care because you're trying to recruit folks. But even then, just getting people to come into healthcare and even stay in healthcare, especially in hospitals, there are people who were just afraid because I know during the pandemic and people say, well, where, where do you work? I was a little hesitant to say, well, you know, yeah. you know, so yeah, the, I think a lot of this is rooted in the pandemic and the effects that it had on it has had on short staffing. So, you know, Kaiser in the statement that they sent over to us, Jennifer, said, you know, on the day that the coalition strikes began, that is to say the coalition of unions of, of Kaiser uh, unions, they were pleased to confirm that they'd met their goal of hiring 10,000 new coalition represented employees uh, by the end of 2023, and they did it on on October 4th. Um, but the, you still think they're not hiring enough? Like they need to that that you know we're losing people on one end, so hiring on the other end isn't making up for the staffing. Well, what I want to say is there's an expression that Kaiser uses called churn. And a lot of it is when folks go from they transfer from one job to the other, Mm. whether it's because it's better benefits or they need to drop down. And so there's a lot of what they call churn. Mm -hmm. So as a frontline healthcare worker, 
it's challenging for me to see where these 10,000 new staff are and to separate it from net new staff versus, you know, staff who are involved in the churn. Mm. So the, like, the idea there being that it may not be that there's actually 10,000 new people, <laughs> you know, that net new people, but rather replacements for people who have who've burned out. I would say that is a question that I have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, You know, the issue of staffing also seems, you know, like it's happening outside of Kaiser as well. Um, Do you think Kaiser's in like a special position to be able to kind of resolve the kind of industry wide problem? Kaiser has always been an employer of choice because of the way that our members, our staff and our patients have been treated. I mean, it's a one-stop shop. When you have folks who have to go across town to get labs, another one to get an EKG, Kaiser's are very attractive and they, we have, it's, it's been a history of one of the great places to work. Yeah. Do you think it still is? Um, I, I think healthcare by itself it has its challenges, I think, overall, because, again, every time you think the pandemic is over, then you find out the numbers are going up. So I think hospitals, you know, as you know, as a um, industry are having challenges. Yeah. Um, Kaiser, of course, says that they you know, have this responsibility to, quote, you know, kind of balance, um, you know, taking care of their employees with keeping um, the costs of Kaiser down. Do you see those things as intention? Well, here's my thing. I'm a medical social worker. And as a licensed clinical social worker, I always say to patients when I meet them, now that you've met with the doctor, you met with the nurses, I'm here to deal with you with the non, non-medical aspect of your mm-hmm. care. I'm here to talk about what your diagnosis means to you, mm-hmm. what your medical care means to you, and how can we uh, how can we keep it from impacting your life negatively? And in my interviews, I talk to them as people, you know, and to really get someone who's private or someone that you just met to really open up, you know, it really brings that particular skill level. So the thing about it is when you really engage with someone and they're sharing you personal information, personal family information, personal financial information, Mm -hmm. you want to be able to say, let's put a plan together. You know, this, these are the goals, you know, these are the objectives. This is what I will do. This is what you will do. And we'll meet back together. But then you turn around when you after you finish with this patient, then you got five more patients that Mm -hmm. you have to do the same thing. And so what that does, it's like, how do you balance that when someone's really opened up their mind and their heart to you and you say, I'll be able to get back to you tomorrow. But it ends up longer than that because of the staffing shortage. And so even though I mean, I know when you mentioned all the different. Um, staff, you know, that the Kaiser has. But again, I'm in the medical social work chapter and, and Kaiser does a lot talking about social unmet needs. And that's something that yeah. we as the social workers deal with. But again, even in social work, we're, you know, we're short staffed. Yeah. You know, you've been through this negotiating process a few times, like you mentioned. Um, what are the things that you're looking out for that Kaiser will be saying the Kaiser management team so that, you know, like, okay, we're, we're going to bring this thing to a close or like, what, what are the kind of key messages you think are, are going to, uh, to, to look out for, for people who are kind of like, wait, is this thing going to go on for a long time or are we coming to an end here? The core is, is patient care. 
I mean, that's the core. So what what are the commitments to enhance and maintain and to embellish, you know, patient care? I mean, let's let's talk about the, you know, the, the staffing shortage. Let's talk about what can be done to attract and to maintain, you know, what type of education, what type of training, things along those lines, because our patients deserve the best. And so to me, as a social worker, I, I see the individual in the room. I don't see the medical record number. Mm-hmm. I see Mr. or Mrs. Smith or the child. And so how can that patient care be enhanced? Yeah. Hey, thank you so much. Jennifer Key, licensed clinical social worker at uh, Kaiser Oakland, also a member of SEIU, United Healthcare Workers West, and on that uh, bargaining team. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Um, I want to get to, we're going to bring in some more guests, but I want to get to one call first. Tanya in San Mateo, welcome. Uh, yes, hello. Um, I have, um, I'm a physician uh, in the Bay Area um, for 20 plus years, um, and I served um, as uh, uh, at my hospital in administrative positions as well. Um, I was part of a community-based hospital that was then taken over by Sutter. Um, I, I don't see the, a lot of these issues as being a shortage of labor. Um, I see it, the issue as employees and physicians being treated with respect and proper pay. Hmm. Um, I think the patient needs to come first. And as you, um, you know, now we have this corporatization of medicine and, and these huge conglomerates, you know, the Kaisers, the Sutters um, um, of the world. Um, and as these as these uh, corporations get bigger, um, you know, the patient uh, and the doctors have less and less of a say. You know, as physicians, we're, we're, we're called providers now. Um, you know, we're not given the same level of respect uh, and neither are the nurses um, or the other people who work at, at the hospital, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's the main issue. I think if you speak to a lot of people in healthcare, they will tell you that the spirit of, of, of the healthcare provider, whether it's the all important uh, respiratory therapist or nurse or doctor, um, I, I think that they feel that their spirits have been broken Mm -hmm. and it makes it much harder to come to the job and give all you give because when you're in healthcare, there's really no profession where you come to the job and you really just, you know, all the people who come to, 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 who come to these positions, they come because it's a calling. Most people who go into healthcare do it because it's a calling and um, it, it needs to change. I would love the pendulum to swing back to say, you know, to, to have the doctor set up their own office and take care, you know, and, and have ownership of, of their practice and their business. But, you know, when you're a cog in the wheel, um, it, it changes your mentality, uh, you know, and, and, yet, and yet the doctors still do it. They, they, they still do it. They still put their, pa- the doctors and nurses still put their patients first, no matter what the mentality is. And that, that's what's so sad to see right now. Tanya, thanks uh, so much for that perspective. For those who uh, might be interested uh, in, in exploring some of these issues further, you know, we did a show um, on the rise of uh, private equity investments in um, different kinds of um, doctors' offices. So, you know, as Tanya was mentioning, doctors used to own their own offices. Now, oftentimes, um, many practices have been sold to uh, d- different private equity players, that is, say, investors. Um, I want to bring in uh, another guest here to join me in, in Farida. Uh, let's bring in Robert Pearl, uh, former CEO of the Permanente Medical Group and now a lecturer at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and Stanford Medical School. Welcome, Robert. 
Thank you for having me this morning. So, you know, uh, I guess you uh, left Kaiser about five years ago, so uh, a little bit before the pandemic. How much do you think the staffing situation was changed by the sort of pandemic period and then, you know, everything that's come since? The pandemic had a massively negative impact on every hospital and every health system in the United States. Uh, We're still not fully out of that. It led to the great resignation, Mm. led people to feel that they just couldn't cope anymore, not just at the workplace, but in their home life. Uh, We still have tremendous disruptions in almost every industry, in almost every business. Yeah, the impact is there and it's going to be with us for a while. And then you add on top of that the inflation that many think came out of some of the remedies to the pandemic. So we've seen double digit increase in costs that are impacting both the providers of care, uh, the recipients of care, people inside the labor unions, inside the management area. And I think we're seeing nationally the type of uh, challenges. You look at the UAW strike, the United Auto Workers, the writer's strike, the actor's strike, UPS, you go down the line. I think the same issue is there. We're at a massive point right now as a nation with great threats being felt by individuals. And I think without a whole lot of great remedies being provided. Well, and, um, you know, when we when we think about what, what has happened inflation wise and cost of living wise, you know, even before the pandemic here in the Bay Area and in many of the other places where um, Kaiser workers are striking, housing costs had been spiraling up for years and years and years. Uh, and it feels like the more recent inflation is kind of like the, the straw that broke the camel's back. And, and on top of that, the cost of gasoline, because people have to commute. If the housing prices go up, they live farther away. The cost of getting yeah. to work go up. Now, these, these are very real issues. The cost of food at the uh, mm-hmm. local supermarkets. I mean, get on the list of places that are there. These are very real factors. And simultaneously, I think that as those dollars rise, then it's paid for by someone else, often a patient, a payer, meaning a uh, small business, uh, someone has to bear the brunt of it all. No, I think we're at the verge from an historical perspective of what is called the wage price spiral, where one piece accelerates the next, accelerates the next. It's not that anyone's wrong. It's just that getting all the pieces inside the box yeah. are just difficult to accomplish. And so you're absolutely right. I think people are just finding it harder to live right now. And they're demanding not small increases, demanding large increases. And it's not, I'll say that it's not justified in ter- from one perspective, but on the other hand, as you look at the consequences, there's an offsetting negative impact and trying to bring these pieces together. I'm a big believer in the Kaiser Permanente model and the uh, union management partnership. And I think it works best when both sides of the organization can come together and find innovative ways to make care both higher in quality, but also more efficient and lower in cost. And that is my hope for hopefully for how we will get out of the challenges, the pressures that are being exerted on all sides today. Quick, quick one for you here. What about the staffing number that Kaiser released when they said, you know, um, we've we've brought in 10,000 new people who are part of the coalition of unions here um, in basically what ends up being nine months. To your mind, as someone who ran that organization, is that a lot or a little, given that we know people are churning out the, the bottom and, and leaving the field? 
Well, you're exactly right. The real question is what's happening with the net. And as you said, I stepped down as CEO in Kaiser Permanente six years ago, and I don't have the current data that exists. If it's 10,000 truly new staff, that would be massive. If it's 10,000 new staff and 9,000 left, then it's only 1,000. <laughs> that would be small. Right. Yes, you that's right. I have the information we need. Yeah. Um, so here are two comments, which I'm, I'm going to put to you together. Um, Greg writes, Kaiser is a nonprofit organization. It does not have profits as a matter of state law. So the organization is legally required to plow revenues back into patient service. So what exactly pot of money are the demanded wage and staffing increases going to come from? Robert writes, can you discuss the advantages that Kaiser gains from claiming the legalized fiction of nonprofit status? They appear to conduct business like every other healthcare corporation intent on squeezing every dime of profit possible at the expense of their employees and patients. What qualifies Kaiser for this designation? And I, I guess the way I would put this is, does this labor dispute indicate a crack in the Kaiser model, however you might uh, see its uh, nonprofit status? Or do you think that um, the, the model fundamentally is sound? In response to the first question, the money comes out of the patient premiums, the dollars that are paid uh, on an annual basis by every Kaiser member, either by him or herself or by their employer. Uh, sometimes by the federal government through Medicare, but it's paid by someone uh, providing dollars to the Kaiser Health Plan. Uh, the not-for-profit status relates to whether it pays taxes, which it doesn't pay, but as a result of that, it has to use an equivalent amount of dollars for what's called community benefit. This could be providing care to the uninsured. This could be providing care to people on Medicaid who otherwise uh, couldn't get the full set of services that are needed. It's supporting uh, community organizations, and it has to report to the state and to the federal government about these activities. Yeah. So the basic business doesn't change. You still have money coming in from a payer. You deliver your care. At the end of the year, if you're a for-profit organization, the savings go to the investors, Whereas in a not-for-profit, it's invested back in, often in new facilities, new hospitals. That's the way the dollars are utilized inside a not-for-profit. We're, we're talking Kaiser. We'll be right back with more with Robert Pearl. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the Kaiser Healthcare Worker Strike. It's 75,000 people nationwide, 22,000 workers here in the Bay Area alone. 
And we've been joined this morning by Farida Jovala Romero, who's a labor correspondent here at KQED. Earlier, we were joined by Jennifer Key, who's a licensed clinical social worker at Kaiser and on the bargaining team for the unions. We were also joined by Robert Pearl, a former CEO of the Permanente Medical Group, who's now a lecturer at Stanford Graduate School of Business and Stanford Medical School, talking about uh, what it was like to try and manage that uh, organization. I want to bring in Ken Jacobs, chair of the UC Berkeley Labor Center. Welcome, Ken. Morning. Um, how do you see this strike fitting in with the the larger labor movement that we've seen this year? You know, Farida and uh, and Robert were talking about earlier. Well, I, I think it reflects many of the same issues. I mean, when we look at some of the large strikes we saw prior to the pandemic, like the large teacher strikes around the country. They're very similar issues there. The teachers were concerned with both their own pay and the ability to, to recruit teachers in and the quality of education. And here we really see that same connection around pay and the quality of care. In, you know, when we went, as we went through the pandemic, of course, the healthcare workers were hailed as, as, as heroes and called they were essential, but like other workers, saw their wages erode significantly over the last two years. And one of the things striking me at me looking at the uh, proposals on the table is that the proposal from Kaiser would not make up for the ground that Kaiser uh, workers mm. lost over the last two years. And in some cases, depending on what inflation looks like over the next four years in Southern California and outside of California, workers could potentially even lose more ground. Mm. Uh, so that those issues are, are very uh, much in line with what we're seeing in, in many of these other actions. And then there are other issues on the table, like protections against subcontracting and outsourcing. The Historically, the, the union contract at Kaiser has protected against uh, outsourcing, which uh, cost members jobs. Kaiser's looking to change that to be able to outsource some piece of the uh, administrative part of the operation. And then uh, similar to the UAW strike, there's a big issue here looking at what happens. You know, Kaiser's now on this uh, is trying to buy a large health system in Pennsylvania, uh, Geisinger, and is looking at buying other health systems. And then there's a big issue. And the, Geisinger is a non-union health system. Mm. What happens with those workers? And they are, are they brought into the partnership mm. or not? Uh, again, very similar to some of the issues that the UAW is is addressing around uh, electric car manufacturing and the car parts uh, manufacturing that's, that's so being done outside of those those union areas. So we see a lot lots of similar issues yeah. here. Um, quick historical question. I mean, we what do we know about union or worker power after a big shock to the to the country? Like say you know World War II, we know there's a ton of labor unrest right in the years after the war. Do you think that COVID has had kind of a similar impact, although obviously a very different situation? Well, I think that is there is a there is a good analogy there. I think right after after the end of the war, we did see that that big uh, surge in labor activity. Historically, uh, in times where there's a tighter labor market, or you know people are less concerned about being able to find another job, uh, workers are have greater confidence in going out and and taking action uh, to better the job that they're in. So I, I, I do think uh, that COVID shock had a big impact here, but I think it's important to note that this rise in worker actions really did start prior to COVID. I mean, we saw in 2018 and 2019, large strikes in the hotel industry and teachers, 
And again, around very similar issues, you know, the, the big slogan in the, the hotel strike was one job should be enough, mm. uh, you know, dealing with the questions of cost of pay. And then I think as we went through the pandemic and when workers were told they were essential, but treated as though they were disposable, that really lit a, mm. a, another fire under it. And so I think we've just got workers fed up with what they're seeing, fed up with the, the huge and growing inequality and a greater willingness to take action. And then when they see other workers doing so and being successful, that also uh, increases willingness for, for pe people to say, hey, I can do this at my work site too. All right, let's get to some calls for you and Farida. Uh, Brandon in San Francisco, welcome. Hey guys, yeah, thanks for taking my call. Um, really appreciate these conversations about labor and labor action. Um, and I just had a question, you know, based on the reporting from talking with workers who are striking um, in this moment, but then also, you know, since this conversation is more broadly about labor this year, talking about the writer's strike um, and what a lot of these workers are asking for, to me, it seems to boil down to increases in wages of a few percentage points per year for the next few years. And just looking at the last couple of years, you know, inflation has been, mm -hmm. what, almost 4 percent a couple of years ago, 8 percent this last year. And not sure what we're going to get this year, but um, it just seems like what we're calling uh, concessions, I guess, from, you know, whether it's Kaiser or the studios in, in the writer's strike is really kind of crumbs compared to what workers actually seem to need to survive. So I'm just wondering, like, what workers are saying about how they've arrived at the numbers that they're asking for. Yeah. And if there is kind of an understanding that um, that we really can't get enough to keep up with you know, where the cost of living have been going, but also keeping in mind that workers have been underpaid, the vast majority have been underpaid for decades. Um, so hey, I'm just wondering what the reporting and what conversations yeah, of workers Brandon, that's a great that's a great question. I mean, Farida, um, in, in talking with folks out there, um, how much is inflation and that cost of living um, coming up? And, and yeah, talk to us about it. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, that, the, those are the main reasons, basically, that... Um, workers in this uh, Kaiser, you know, um, action, initially, they were asking for an increase, wage increase across the board for all of their members of 7% annually for the first two years of the contract. And then I believe it was 6.25% the following two years. Now, like we mentioned earlier, Kaiser was, uh, you know, proposing a 3% increase initially, and they they seem to be budging a little bit on that, but definitely not enough to come to where the uh, union um, started, you know, really started threatening to go on strike, you know, over this. So, yeah, I mean, I think for workers, there's a, it's that feeling that inflation's going up, you know, groceries, mm -hmm. the cost of groceries, the squeeze, everything, except for their paychecks, you know, and that's like a direct quote from one of the um, workers that you played their tape earlier mm -hmm. in the show, Grover Woods, you know. And so it, it's also, I think what um, others in the show are saying, too, like with the pandemic, you know, it's this feeling for healthcare workers, especially that they're not being valued, you know, that they really made some huge sacrifices during the pandemic when all of us were you know sheltering at home and trying to stay safe and distancing they were still in hospitals and coming to work you know to clinics and the the sentiment i i heard over and over is like hey i put my life at risk you know mm -hmm. and i'm still here because i care for my patients i've heard of workers at kaiser having to sleep in their cars you know during the pandemic to try to 
uh, prevent bringing COVID to their families mm-hmm. and loved ones. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, it's this feeling like, hey, we really did our job. We put, we did everything we could, you know, for like uh, the well-being of our patients and society. And now we deserve mm-hmm. a little more so we can live. So yeah. that's that's the sentiment I get from, from people on the street. Let's bring in uh, Janelle in Oakland. Welcome, Janelle. Good morning. Thanks for having this show and thanks for having me on. Yeah, go ahead. So, um, full disclosure, I was born in a Kaiser. So, um, my children 10 years ago were born um, at a Kaiser, and I love Kaiser. I love my providers. <laughs> I love my experience there, and it's awesome. And also, full disclosure, I'm a labor relations representative for California School Employees Association representing Piedmont Unified School District classified workers right now who are facing an overall premium increase of 18% from Kaiser, mm. which will double and sometimes more than double their monthly premium. If you don't know what a classified worker is, it's custodians, food Mm. service, paraeducators, clericals. The lowest paid unit in the school is going to face a more than doubling uh, sometimes of their premiums on a monthly basis. And my thought is, what the heck does Kaiser think we're going to do? Like, is the point just to bleed us out and then move on to other people who have money? Mm. But the classified workers aren't going to be able to stay where the premiums go up. And we press, because it's my job to press, so I press the administration to take pay cuts, to be part of the team, and they're trying. But even they are throwing their hands up, like, what can you do against an 18% this year? And it was 13% raised last year. Mm. So my question is, dear Kaiser, I love you. Thanks for saving my wife at the time's life and bearing my twins. Mm. But what are we supposed to do when we can't afford you anymore? Mm. Mm. That's a, uh, Janelle, thank you so much. I mean, Frida, how much do you see that tension at play? You know, if we're talking about premiums going up, where does where is the money supposed to come from? I mean, I assume it's supposed to come from management share, uh, right? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, from the workers' perspective, it it. They feel like Kaiser should be different than other, you know, for-profit, full-on for-profit corporations in the country because they are a nonprofit and they have a bigger responsibility to provide that, you know, community service, like uh, Robert Pearl was saying. Um, At the same time, we're seeing this organization grow tremendously, you know, in recent years. Um, They're not in California, you know, they definitely headquarters in uh, in Oakland, you know, but they're like in other states. There are these, you know, big purchases of uh, infrastructure, buildings, other systems. Uh, you see them advertised, you know, at Chase Center, you know, <laughs> and then I was just looking at they do have to, you know, report like the uh, compensation of their uh, of their top executives. And, you know, we mentioned uh, the, the compensation for uh, their CEO with more than and 13 million in base uh, compensation in 2021. But there's, you know, more than a dozen people making more than a million dollars in base compensation mm-hmm. as well. So I think, and, and, and just to, you know, be clear, it doesn't seem like this is like much different than other, you know, players in healthcare industry. Mm-hmm. It might be, you know, pretty similar to just how things are going. But I think uh, from the from the people who are striking, it's the sense that they can find the money because they are making investments. They 
they are you know trying to uh, to grow still kaiser and mm. so i'm of course not privy to all the financials you know of how uh kaiser works but um there's this sense like hey things seem to be doing fine you know it seems mm-hmm. like the uh, company is doing fine uh and so you know but but of course kaiser is saying you know we're trying to keep costs as affordable as possible yeah. and care as affordable as possible for patients at the millions of people that they uh, that they serve and then at the same time costs are going up for them as well so i think that's just something yeah. that's in this you know tension of the balance you know of issues that needs to get sorted out about where the money is going to come from yeah. if they are going to give uh, wage yeah. increases um Ken Jacobs, chair UC Berkeley Labor Center, wanted to ask you something that kind of has come up a few times in this conversation. You know, um, Janelle talking about, you know, um, premiums going up there, which presumably means the workers that she represents would have to, you know, also make more money. We um, heard uh, earlier Robert Pearl say uh, some words from the 1970s that probably sent a chill down people who lived through inflation, which was wage price spiral. how do you see that particular issue? Because my, my sense is that labor advocates have tended to feel different about that idea. Well, I, I think overall, very few economists at, the, at this point believe that we are in conditions of a wage price spiral or that one's happening. We're really seeing wage increases, except for at the very bottom, are lagging inflation and they're coming after uh, not before. Uh, there's really no evidence that we're in a in, in a condition of, of wage price spiral or that wage increases on the sizes that we're talking about in these union negotiations that are happening today would uh, would lead to one. I just I also think it's important to note when we talk about where the the money would come from is that Kaiser does make decisions over how to allocate funds. As as Farida was talking about, they have been doing significant investing in. Uh, pr- uh, you know, looking at purchasing other health systems. Um, and it's also worth noting that while Kaiser itself is nonprofit, the Permanente group is for profit. And so one of the things the union's been demanding is greater transparency from the Permanente group mm-hmm. to understand what, you know, what what what's happening financially. Talk to there. me about the difference between those two things. So the 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 Kaiser is the 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 health plan. Uh, that we're all members of, and I'm a member. Um, The the Permanente Group is the organization of doctors who they contract with to to carry out uh, that the you know their part of the medical care. Got it. Got it. And so, I yeah, I mean, one could see how there could be um, some accounting. I'm going to say I want to say something softer than shenanigans, but shenanigans is what's coming out um, in in working between those two groups uh, would be the assumption. Well, well, the important thing here is to have trans- transparency to know what what is happening there and to, to be able to make uh, a better assessment. So, it, you know, the unions at a, a disadvantage here in terms of trying to project forward, you know, w- what's reasonable to ask for when they just don't have when when they don't have that information. But it is clear, as mentioned earlier, the proposal that Kaiser has on the table would leave workers well behind where they were two years ago in terms of real wages. And may I add something? Sure. Alexis? Yeah, I feel like what uh, Professor Jacobs is bringing up is 
is important too to this strike because uh, for a long time, the union has been saying that Kaiser has not been bargaining in good faith because they haven't been providing this information, the data that would allow them to see exactly how much these wage increases could be, you know, mm-hmm. that would inform the the bargaining uh, uh, for the union for sure. And that's that's been one of the issues. Of course, Kaiser has been saying throughout that they are bargaining in good faith, you know, um, so, but, but, but I think that that's an important point that, uh, we don't know the full financial picture, I guess. Um, you know, we got some calls who are going to get stranded, um, on the line as we come to the end here. I just want to note, you know, Helen and San Carlos wanted to say that, you know, providing good health care, uh, is incompatible with the profit, uh, motive, which, you know, has been a, uh, a, a topic of discussion in the U.S. and in other countries for a long time. Um, another uh, listener writes in to say, Kaiser services are not okay right now. They don't have a robust plan. Half the pharmacies are closed. I would have to go to Mission Bay to get lab work. I can't get psychiatry to call me back and might end up running out of my ADHD meds as a result. There are things for which delays are unacceptable, and Kaiser does not seem to be taking these seriously. I feel lost and helpless, and I've watched the staffing situation get worse and worse and start to affect the quality of care since 2014. Um, another listener writes in to say, you know, I'm a longtime member of Kaiser, and the only thing that makes me feel a little bit better about Kaiser is the knowledge that healthcare throughout America is totally broken and that over the past 10 years, their coverage um, has gone down the hole. So we've got some uh, people, you know, who love their Kaiser uh, healthcare. We've also got some people who've really struggled with um, getting uh, adequate care. Farida, um, real quick, um, what are you looking for here over the next couple of days to figure out, you know, where this dispute's headed? Yeah, well, we'll we're we're going to be paying attention to see what agreement, you know, comes out of uh, all of this and what the terms are, you know, for workers and for the company. Uh, but I think, you know, they're one of the biggest employers in the Bay Area, for sure, Kaiser. Uh, and so it's definitely, you know, yeah. a company that we need to keep paying attention to. For sure. We've been talking about the massive Kaiser healthcare worker strike with Farida Jovalo Romero, labor correspondent at KQED. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alexis. Thanks for having me. We've also been joined by Ken Jacobs, chair of UC Berkeley's Labor Center. Thank you so much, Ken. Thank you. And earlier we were joined by Jennifer Kia, licensed clinical social worker at Kaiser Oakland, and Robert Pearl, the former CEO of the Permanente Group and now lecturer at Stanford Graduate School of Business and Stanford Medical School. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Of course, stay tuned to KQED for more coverage of the Kaiser strike. And also in the next hour, Mina Kim with another hour forum. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.